0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Slapped is the title of a new novel based on the true story of a strategic lawsuit against public participation, or SLAP, in Utah. Two headstrong conservative Mormon housewives bent on preserving open space near Utah's Jordan River for their children and coming generations speak out publicly against a multi-million dollar commercial project they believe would encroach on the river and destroy wildlife habitat. They're promptly sued by the developers for $1.7 million. When they choose to stand their ground and fight, the developers do everything in their power to use them as so-called whipping moms so that no citizen or city will dare oppose their developments in the future. On these bones of a classic American story based on actual events, a cast of fascinating characters fleshes out. An important environmental fight morphs into an even more significant battle for free speech. And so since this is in novel form, uh, the people in the novel uh, take on their their character names, and we bring in uh, one of the two women at the center of this story, and we'll refer to her by the name in the novel, Jessica Tobler. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been really excited to come on your show today.
0: Uh, it's a fascinating story. Um, I guess the first question is: um, This was put into novel form. In fact, uh, the, the the author of the novel, based on extensive interviews, I assume with you and and your fellow activist and, and yes. others, is Paul Swenson, who people may know by his byline with the desert News, Salt Lake Tribune, Sunstone Dialogue. He uh, he died last year after completing work on this novel.
1: Yes, he did, and I'm still heartbroken. Um, in in my opinion, I think this is his best work, and it, since uh, you are located in Logan, um, I just thought I would mention that um, he is Mace Winston's brother, and Mace Winston, they have a Mace Winston every day, uh, every year in Logan because he's one of the most well-known and most famous and highly decorated poets of the 20th century.
0: Yes, I'd, I'd been familiar with his name and I hadn't, I'd forgotten that that fact. Uh-huh. He's, he's, he's the brother of Mae Swenson. Um, so uh, why novel form? Why, why not do a memoir?
1: Well, for, um, because this is a very sensitive story and it protects all the characters involved including the, the developers who I think are scum. And um, and so it protects him, and it protects um, the people involved, uh, like me. And and there's like there's over uh, 200 local characters that are involved in the story. A lot of very high-profile attorneys, a high-profile church leaders, um, I should say, Mormon church leaders, and newspapers. The, the newspapers in the story and all the periodicals that are mentioned, they are using the real names, but the characters have all had um, Paul changed their names. It just protects everybody involved.
0: And so we'll refer to you as Jessica Tobler. Am I okay to give out the website for the, as uh, in the publicity materials for the book?
1: Um, let me take a rain check on that, okay. and, and I'll find out more and okay. give that out later. I, uh, I need right. to set up a website for the book a little bit later. Okay,
0: okay. Anyway, that website you uh, you know you see pictures of the family and and uh, and the area we're talking about. In any uh-huh. case, this is a fascinating story. Um, let's uh, maybe jump into your background. You raised in okay. Utah, were you?
1: Um, I was born in a small town in Idaho, Shelley, Idaho. Um, in fact, it's the potato capital of the world where uh, every we get out, the students get out of school every year for spud harvest to help harvest the spuds. And I grew up by the Snake River. Just, um, I'm, I'm a country girl um, at heart. And you know what they say, you, you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. And so I just have a tremendous love of nature, Um, I attended, I graduated from Brigham Young University with a degree in public relations. And when I had children, I knew that I wanted to uh, stay home and take care of them. So I gave up my career to stay home and take care of my children, and so did my friend Julie Bell, who's also one of the main characters of the book. And so I felt it gave me some discretionary time where I could go and fight for things that I believe in and fighting for open space. Um, was not the first cause I've taken on. Um, in fact, it, it was kind of a, an interesting dichotomy, I guess is the word, where I, I'm actually a gun rights activist. Um, I, I helped to get concealed carry passed in the state of Utah. And I believe that since I don't believe that guns cause crime, and so I think one of the main things I think that since I don't believe that guns cause crime, I need to come up with ideas how to solve crime, and I think one of those ideas is to preserve open space in urban areas. Hmm, Interesting.
0: I was going to ask you about that. That is an interesting uh, kind of a juxtaposition or dichotomy, as you called it. I I was going to ask you about that, um, because uh, preservation of open space, environmental activism, Mm -hmm. in some people's minds, would not fit with gun rights. I think you've been active in immigration on the conservative side, that, you know, the the two don't seem to fit together.
1: (laughs) I, you know, that is true on the surface. And, but but I would like to say that um, I would challenge any of the, the, what should we call them, green groups, Uh, the Sierra Club and um, some of the other groups. I I would challenge them dollar per dollar, um, who has raised more money to preserve open space, um, gun rights, gun owners, I should say, um, have every year with the, just the hunting licenses alone and the fishing licenses, you know, millions of dollars. And that is present um, for uh, preservation of wildlife and, and environment. And yeah. um, there's a, a group specifically designed that's a nonprofit. It's friends of the National Arrival Association that all the money that they raise does go to habitat preservation and um, gun safety education and things like that. So, but yeah, I, in fact, I did a research paper when I was at Ricks College at Rexburg, Idaho, which is now BYU-Idaho, and the, the class assignment was, how would you save the world? And so my idea, and I think it's a good idea, and you can tell me what you think, Tom, um, and I said, let's, let's get a group of kids from New York City and, and bring them to, to Logan, take them to, to these beautiful areas and let them work the land and an understand and gain an appreciation of nature. Mm-hmm. And because the you can't once it's gone, you can't replace these um very viable areas such as the river bottom, such as the incredible drive to Logan mm-hmm. you know, which which I would man, Logan is my little paradise that I like to go to whenever I'm Feeling blue. Yeah, it's it's, it's so a, beautiful, it's a beautiful
0: beautiful area. Oh, let's let's uh, proceed with the this with the story. Uh, it's just fascinating, and I, I remember I remember the the accounts of this. This became a, a very famous uh, really wow. slapsuit. Um, uh-huh. um, so you're you're now living in in south at least at the time living in South right. Jordan. You have you're married with kids. You're right. integrated into your Mormon ward right and, and community. Right. <laughs> Um, and so how did this all, all start? You, uh, the, the, I guess the developers announced a development. Is that, that what happened on right. uh, land that you wanted to preserve?
1: Yes. Um, yes, what happened is they, if they, you know, the typical, they send out an announcement and I did not receive an announcement because you have to be within three to 500 feet of the development. So my friend, Julie Bill received the announcement that they were going to, um, have to discuss rezoning the property, which was always slated. i look for, you know, ever since time began, because the pioneers that lived here before, they never touched those beautiful riparian river bottoms because they understood the value that these open space areas add. And so um, Julie Bell passed out flyers, and so I went to the first meeting, and the developers were there. And and you really couldn't ask for better villains. Um, I mean, they, uh, Jeffrey Henderson... the the lead developer. He wears a black hat. Uh, He wore a black hat to every meeting, except finally, I think he finally decided he needed to start wearing a white hat because he was getting (laughs) a bad reputation. And then, uh, of course, a third developer, uh, third court, third district court judge who was also developing the land that everybody was terrified of. And they made a very uh, formidable team, of course, and also their lawyers that followed them everywhere they went. And so... We had a meeting at Julie Bell's house, and they basically said it was a done deal and there was nothing that anybody could do to stop them. And so Julie and I decided, I said, hey, you know, I've been involved in a lot of causes. I know how to get active. Let's get people active, and um, let's start giving out the phone numbers for the planning commission at that time. That, um, and I, I think they were taken by surprise when all of a sudden they start getting phone calls at their home saying, hey, don't, you know, don't rezone that ground down there. And I, I think that what happens is you have these small towns that aren't used to hucksters, <laughs> you know, coming in and, and uh, trying to destroy their land. You know, they're just not used to it. They're used to, like, hey, everybody loves this beautiful open space here. Who, who would want to destroy it? And so it kind of took everybody off guard. And so we had, like, so many people started coming out to these public hearings um, that they had to move the hearings to the middle school because the city council chambers in uh, south jordan could not accommodate them and so i you know you think that gun rights are a big cause and yeah they are i mean if you think about some of the hottest topics in you know right now war you know abortion gun rights uh, you know clean air those kinds of things and so i i was pretty accustomed to receiving hundreds you know and and Before email, you know, a lot of snail mail letters and phone calls, and my phone rang off the hook for gun rights. But when um, we, when the media started publicizing this story, I started getting phone calls and letters from from people all over the state, and they were just, you know, begging me, please do whatever you can to preserve that area because that's where I went when I was a teenager. To to literally, one guy said it helped, it stopped him. from becoming delinquent. That's how powerful nature is. And so what's really dangerous um, when you're a crusader like me <laughs> is when you get mail like that and when somebody says, oh, please help me, you know, like the little old ladies that, that call me and say, I'm gonna lose my house if they raise taxes, please help me, you know, that just, that I thrive on that and it makes me, it gives me reason to wanna go um, and, and fight. And so, um. Because when you take on a cause, you have to figure out, like, okay, is this, a, is this something like my, my neighbor's dog is barking, so I'm going to go start a statewide movement, you know, about <laughs> my neighbor's dog barking? Um, that, you know, that would not warrant any kind of attention. But when you start receiving, you know, hundreds of people are calling you and showing up to meetings, then you know, and you've got the community support, then you need to do something about it.
0: And what, what was, um, so the general opinion of most of the, the neighborhood was against the development, was it?
1: Yes, absolutely. And not only my neighborhood, Tom, but people came from all across southford and people that didn't even live um, in the neighborhood.
0: And were there people, I imagine there were some people who were for it.
1: A couple, uh-huh. the landowners.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, they, I mean, they stood really to make like, some money, yeah.
1: And, and there's, you know, even a landowner to this day has not sold uh, his property on the river bottoms. Hmm. Because he it's been in the family for generations. And he and, and he understood the value of that.
0: What was, uh, so you organized the, the community and they were, the developers were getting probably more attention to this than they wanted. Right. Um, at what point did they did they slap you and, uh, and julie with the, with the lawsuit
1: well um what happened was you're right the day we got it started receiving a lot of media coverage and so one day i, I believe it was very strategically sent letter um the day of a public hearing with the city council and it said hey you know you're they made it sound like we were criminals, like you're going to public hearings, like, oh my gosh, they go to public hearings, you know, that's so evil, right? Um, but but they said, you're, you know, you're causing all this trouble, you're stirring up all this resentment against us, and, you know, you're, what you're saying is not true, and they said if you didn't stop what you were doing, that that they would sue us, and the damages could be in the millions of dollars. And I'm completely scared, you know, I, I'm a pretty law-abiding citizen, you know, probably the worst thing on my record is, you know, expired registration on my car briefly, you know, because I think everybody might have had that experience, you know, and so all of a sudden I'm, I'm being called a criminal and threatened with litigation. And so at that point I wanted to totally give up. And so it just so happened that a reporter from Channel 4 called me and he said, he said, "Hey, I'm on my way uh, to the meeting. Could I do an interview beforehand?" And I said, "You know, I don't know. I just got a letter threatening me with a lawsuit." And he said, "What? They can't do that. You know, if you let, if they sue you, you let us know because it's important for us as journalists, and you understand this, Tom, is it's important for the media to be able to have people that um, can speak their mind." Or you don't have a job, you know, mm-hmm. um, be- because democ- every, democracy, a democratic republic, you know, United States, any any thriving society depends on the ability of people to speak freely without fear of being shot in mm-hmm. some countries to this day, you know, still, or, or sued or or anything or being intimidated is absolutely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, so... That gave me courage, so I went to the meeting. Julie and I went to the meeting that night, and, and we still spoke, and hundreds of people still showed up. And we went, and I, I went up to the developers, and I said, hey, that letter you sent me is a piece of crap. You know, what, what, do you, what are you doing? And so they said, well, why don't we, ladies, why don't we go talk about this? And so we went. There's one of my favorite chapters in the book um, called Dinner on the Dark Side, is where Julie Bell and I went and we spoke with the developers. And they basically told us that the project was going to go through and so they ought to quit, well, we ought to quit fighting it or we are going to get hurt, basically. And we said, no, we'll have, I guess we'll have to fight you every step of the way.
0: Hmm. So the, and of course around that time, this was... Unfortunately, not not unusual, right? There were other places where uh, people were getting slapped, so-called, strategic lawsuits <clears> against public participation. Um, what was the rationale in the lawsuit? They were saying that you were encroaching upon their business? Is that right. harming their business?
1: Um, yes, and, and eventually, yeah, from from that first threat, you know, they ended up suing us. You're right, um, for $1.7 million, and, and the... That you know, all the attorneys looked at it, in, including in this story, um, Lefty Gunderson is his name, and he was an ACLU attorney. And the, all of the attorneys that looked at it said, "There's no basis in this except for what they call a breach of contract." That's only they, you know, they they had a list of accusations. One was that we weren't properly. Licensed as a charitable organization because we we had gone around and, and and literally we had we had a sign up sheet that we sent around we live in a nice neighborhood and we have a lot of business owners and they were we we into the city we said these people are willing to put in bathrooms they're willing to put in landscape um, so we just from the city alone we had um, people that were willing to donate build restrooms and and, and put in all of this landscaping down there so that we could preserve the river bottoms and in fact at the first meeting that we had um, I went up there and I had monopoly money and I said um, I'll put in the first $100 to preserve this ground and and all of a sudden, people were coming up with, with cash. I, I had a monopoly $100 bill. People were coming forward with $100 bills. One guy said, I'm, I'll write a check out for $20,000 right now to preserve it. So we weren't just going to city council meetings and saying, oh, you know, you've got to save the, the wildlife but you know, we, and not have a plan. No, we were willing to put our money where our mouth was. And so... Again, I, I think the developers saw this happening and thought, you know what? They're going to spoil all of our plans to rip up the river bottoms and and for us to make millions of dollars. So we better shut these ladies up. Mm.
0: Um, We're going to uh, let's take a brief break. We'll come back and, and get more okay. of the story. Um, Slapped is the new novel. That's based on the acronym of a strategic lawsuit against public participation, and uh, this is a new novel written by Paul Swenson. Uh, it's based on the true story of a slap in Utah to headstrong conservative Mormon housewives men of preserving open space near Utah's Jordan River uh, speak out against a multi-million dollar commercial project. And they're promptly sued by the developers for $1.7 million. And this has not only uh, environmental implications, free speech implications, but there's, there's real-life drama in the neighborhood, in the ward, and we'll get into talking about some of that, and there's a real toll taken in these women's lives. We're talking with uh, one of these uh, housewives. Uh, you referred, I think, uh, interestingly in, in some of the newspaper articles, as the PTA moms, and so we're talking to <laughs> one of the PTA yeah. moms who is going by the name that in, by which she appears in the novel of uh, Jessica Tobler. More with Jessica Tobler following a break. By the way, you're welcome to uh, join in on the conversation, and we'd love to hear your story, your take on this. You can join us several ways. The phone number is 1-800-826-1495, one 826 1495 You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can join us on our Facebook page. We have several people who have liked our post Margaret Harper, Ruth Williams, Vivian Vajji, and Marianne Walker-Hubble. So thanks for that. You can comment there uh, on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. We have a picture of a portion of the Jordan River there. More with Jessica Tobler on the novel Slapped following the break.
1: Waste not. A small drip leak on a faucet leaks up to 15 gallons per day. That's 450 per month. So make sure to check your faucets regularly. Another tip, turn off the water while brushing your teeth and save 25 gallons a month.
0: Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash public
2: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Kern Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Now accepting holiday orders for Chocolate Yule Logs, Chocolate Bread, and Stolen, the traditional German holiday fruit bread.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about a new novel based on the true story of a strategic lawsuit against public participation in Utah. The novel is called "Slapped," based on that acronym. Two headstrong conservative Mormon housewives who want to preserve open space near Utah's Jordan River speak out against a multi-million dollar commercial project they believe would encroach on the river and destroy wildlife habitat. They're promptly sued by the developers for $1.7 million dollars as they choose to stand their ground and fight, developers do everything in their power to use them as, uh, quote, whipping moms, in quote. So no citizen or city will dare oppose their developments in the future. An important environmental fight morphs into an even more significant battle for free speech. And uh, since this uh, true story has been novelized, uh, the participants have uh, different names. We're referring to uh, one of the women at the center of this real-life drama, by the name by which he goes in the novel, Jessica Tobler. Uh, Jessica Tobler, um, getting hit with a 1.7 million dollar lawsuit—that that has to be frightening for you and your family.
1: Uh, yeah, it was it was very frightening. Um, yeah, you have to really. What, okay, I, how do I put this? <clears throat> Facing losing everything that we've worked for our entire lives because all I did was go to city council meetings and, and worked my head off calling organizations and people that were willing to do to preserve the land. And beca- because I love nature, and because so does everybody else, and because um, it, it's so healing that I mean, what would New York City be without Central Park? Um, and so I, I had to look to really examine. Uh, what's what is really important in life? And at that time, we live in a very affluent neighborhood. At that we just barely made it. You know, it took us, we made it on our own. It took us ten years to even get into a house, and now you know we're being threatened that we're going to lose it. Because I wanted to, to give something back, and so as I looked around and kind of surveyed, what's important? Um, there, there's really nothing in, more important to me than my rights, and like you just said you know, environmental fight morphed into an even more important battle to preserve free speech. Um, yeah, you, you can't buy rights at the mall. You have to fight for them. And these developers, they're multimillionaires. There's a really funny chapter in the book called Big about how big their house is um, and how much money they have. They're they're filthy rich. And, and to and so I'm facing I, – look, I know, I think everybody understands the power of money here and how money can destroy people. And it was just really amazing to me how they were afraid of a stay-at-home mom and, with a voice. And so, you know, everyone that doesn't have a million dollars needs to realize they might not have a million dollars, but they have a voice. And that's how powerful your voice is in, in making a difference. And so I knew that with my voice, is that what they were afraid of? What did Nelson Mandela, he had a voice. Look what what influence he had across the entire world. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to totally refocus. I guess I'm not going to be able to um, have the nice things in life that all my neighbors have in these neighborhoods. <laughs> and, um, and so I thought, okay, you know, if I lose everything I own, they're not going to take away my free speech because – um, what I need to stress is that a condition of the lawsuit from the very beginning was if you just keep your darn mouth shut and quit going to city council meetings and quit going around everywhere we try to develop and, and warn people that, that we sue people if we don't get our way, um, that it, just keep your mouth shut for four years or how, you know, the rest of your life and we'll drop the lawsuit. So all I had to do was just keep my mouth shut, and they would have dropped the lawsuit. Mm. And so, you know, we've accumulated $400,000 worth of legal fees. Um, And and I, like, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You know, I yeah, I could have had this really nice career. I've been severely um, hampered by this lawsuit because all I've been doing, you know, all I did for nine years was go to court and do a lot of my own legal work. Um, And so my... The greatest gift that my husband, he really gives all the credit, um, he he bought me <laughs> free speech that I'm able to now talk to you because we didn't settle after nine years, and a condition of the settlement agreement was I don't have to keep my mouth shut. And so when I was approached by Paul Swenson, um, the author of the book, uh, who's just an incredible writer, by the way, I mean, he... He's so gifted with words and the way he tells a story. And so when he, he wanted to write a story about strong Mormon women, and so he said, yeah, we were able to speak with him because of, we didn't give up our right to speak out mm. for things that we believe in.
0: What's, what's the—I'm sure this has taken a toll, you know, uh, on on you and, and your fellow activist Julie Bell. What's, 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 what's that toll been on your families?
1: Well, um, we went without, well, again, to my husband's credit, um, half of our paycheck every month went to pay our legal fees. I I should say um, right off the bat, credit to Lefty Gunderson, the ACLU attorney and former mayor, at that time he was not mayor of Salt Lake City, but he became mayor, and so he was representing us pro bono. But when he got elected mayor, of course, he couldn't continue to represent us. And so he donated his time. And that was a shock. You know, like, I took flack within my Republican Party. I don't know why, but, you know, they were mad that Lefty Gunderson, um, a lefty, <laughs> a liberal, you know, and, and a right-wing conservative like me, we were doing radio interviews, and I guess that's not supposed to happen. We're not supposed to make nice with with people who don't believe the the same as we do um because i i think that's what people try to do is is keep us divided in this country then they can they get to um have the power over us hmm. anyway sorry to go it's kind of hard it's, there's so much to it but i had to yeah, there i just is. wanted to get that in about right. so but when we so when he became mayor we didn't have the advantage of having representation um for free and so that was a decision that we had to make and and Rocky, I mean Lefty Gunderson said, <laughs> um, "You know, you're going. If you don't uh, settle, you're going to be really, you know, emotionally, physically, financially. You're you're going to really um, have a lot of damage in those areas." And so I just said, "You know what? Um, it would be better with with all my um, vim and vinegar and my passion for things that I believe in." It would really be better if somebody cut my tongue off than for me to voluntarily give up my right to free speech. And so, um, so we hired a, a law firm who discounted their rates. And, I mean, they're phenomenal, too. They ended up winning the case. Uh, it took a lot of years and $400,000 worth of accumulated debt um, to win at the Supreme Court. And so the damage to our family, I remember my daughter wore the same pair of pants <clears throat> for a whole year at school um we haven't been able to buy material things um th- those are those are material things which people say uh you know all material things don't matter you know yeah that's easy to say you know but but they really do but they really don't <laughs> um but and then uh just the emotional toll uh, it took on our family um, and we were diagnosed with severe depression, which is highly unusual for someone like me um, to be diagnosed with that. One of the things, uh, there was an environmentalist that came to our aid to help us, and he happened to he had bipolar uh, illness. And so when the developers found out that, they actually went around and, and called him crazy to everybody. Um, and and so and, i mean they would they would call me and say why are, you know he's crazy why why are you listening to him he wasn't crazy he's extremely um he's a genius he had bipolar which a lot of people have bipolar and they deal with it just fine but when you're when you're when you're an evil developer whose end goal in life is to make as much money as you can no matter what and no matter how you hurt you're going to go around and and tell people that an environmentalist is crazy so that they went to the, um, the, Jack Fitch is his name, and they, they convinced Jack Fitch's wife that he was crazy and that she should divorce him. <clears throat> and then they also spread rumors that, uh, that Julie Bell and I were having an affair with Jack Fitch. So Jack Fitch, his, his bishop, believed it, and he would not give him a temple recommend. To this day, people that live in this neighborhood... It was even written about in um, the Voice. It's a, a periodical that goes out. it, it used to, it's no longer in business <clears throat> but it goes so all my neighbors in this end of the valley read about that I had an affair with Jack Fitz completely and completely false. But I, I have been told by friends that have come across these developers and to this day they are still telling people that I broke up the marriage of a happily married man which is completely false i mean if it were true wouldn't i be divorced or you know i'd be in some kind of trouble with my husband or wouldn't somebody know they even went to the editor of the salt lake tribune and they accused me of sleeping with reporters to get the stories and how do i know that because a reporter was called in to the publisher of the salt lake tribune and said hey are you sleeping with jessica tobler you know, they did everything, you know, every little dirty trick that they could conceive of. And why did they do that? Because I had a voice. And again, I just like, I'm so passionate about if you, if you say that one person can't make a difference. Yes, you can. Why did the powers of all, you know, H-E double toothpicks were released upon me to get me to shut up? And, now, yeah, it's a terrible toll on my family. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> yeah, it, it, I, I would imagine. Um, there's a very poignant scene at the end of the book. Um, a a couple that uh, you and your husband haven't talked to for ten years, um, and I think you, you and your husband reach reach out to them. That's an example. I I think you know, this is a this is a close knit community, isn't it? And yes, so it you'd, is. You'd be going to you know, the same ward or the same, you know, supermarket yeah, with, I with people the same, that the um, same
1: building where the where the my uh, high councilman slash city councilman lied under oath about me lied.
0: So there's high there's high you know social drama, uh, and I wonder how, how has that all settled out at this point.
1: Well, <clears throat> one of the things that Christians that we're taught. Um, is to forgive. And so, look, it's it's when you're in a Sunday school class, when you're a little kid or something, and they go, okay, Jill stole your uh, your candy. Will you forgive her? And you're like, yeah, I'll forgive her. You know, it, it's easy. But when you're actually faced with a difficult situation where somebody completely and knowingly and systematically destroyed your lives and 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 knowingly, um, I have the docket is 30 pages long, which is a docket is a list of every legal action, because they kept filing actions against us, hoping they would wear us out or hoping that they would wear our lawyers out to say, look, I give up. And, and so, um, you know, maybe in their minds, they really thought that we were a horrible people. But so... do do I forgive? And and the scene that you were talking about is we see uh, the landowners who were some of the people that I attend church with that lied about us under oath. And, and so, but, and the, the sad thing is, Tom, is that we were friends before the developers got in and turned them against us because all they, all they care about is money. It's money to them. And so we do run across them at a neighborhood party and, and, uh, so I told Steve, Dave, my husband, <laughs> um, "Hey, let's let's go uh, give some cookies to the Wilkersons." And so I I went over there and and I said, "Hey, these are for you," and they were completely shocked. And gosh, sorry if I get emotional about it because. Um, forgiveness is a really hard thing to do. But I, you feel better after you forgive someone. But there have been so many examples of forgiveness that are so much greater than me. For example, um, when, I don't know, you can think of so many, the Amish children that were shot to death, you know, they forgave immediately. Um, I know I've heard of other stories where, Family members have been killed, and, and the victims forgave. And so I just think, you know, I'm, I'm a gun rights activist uh, in real life also. I've been volunteering my time for 20 years to fight for the Second Amendment um, rights. And so I hear a lot of um, stories uh, of people who have been shot and the victims that have, had, that have forgiven. And so I, they were really good examples to me. And I hope I'm never in a situation where I have to forgive someone, you know, like for physical harm. They might have caused it to my family.
0: What uh, There's also a scene at the at the end of the book, uh, just past the scene I mentioned, mm-hmm. where you and your family, I'm not sure if uh, Julie Bell and your family are there as well, you go to a park. And uh-huh. this this is a park that you've been able to, uh, this is some open space you've been able to salvage from all of this. I wonder, right. in, in the end... Um, Think the developers were able to, you know, develop some of this land. What, what, what's the end result in terms of the open space that you wanted?
1: Uh, in terms of the end result.
0: Uh, the end result. Yeah. Did you were you able to preserve some open space there?
1: Oh yes, Yeah, Sorry, my phone beeped in right then. <laughs> yes. What um, the end result is that, as far as the property on uh, the Jordan River bottoms in South Jordan, is that um, there are. 10,000 parking spaces, and millions of, I guess it's a spoiler, um, millions of square feet of office space, but the good thing about, you you know, you don't get everything that you want. Look, if you don't say anything, you're not going to get anything, but if you go fight for something, you're at least going to get something. They did want to develop a city park, and so we were able to preserve that. So there's a park down on the river bottoms, and uh millions of square feet of office building. And and so as far as um, free speech issues go, and the, the real bigger story is we were able to um, get a law passed that it's called the Citizen Participation in Government Act. And it took three years because, I mean, you know the makeup of the legislature, Tom, I'm sure. You know, it's mostly lawyers and developers. And lawyers like to sue. And developers like to develop land, and so it, it. We thought it would be a really impossibility to get a lot past to protect people who are sued for going to city council meetings, but we were able to do that, and you know, slap suits uh, were kind of a little secret until uh, in the state of Utah until we got sued, and then that's when we started getting phone calls from people. At citizens, you know, in uh, communities all across the state of Utah, who were calling me to tell me that they had also been threatened with a lawsuit, and they, you know, they wanted to fight too, but but they, you can't. I mean, legal. Oh my goodness, you know, I had no idea how expensive it was to go to court, just to you know, to go to trial. We're up to $400,000 in legal fees, and that's, you know, discounted rates. Um, So it's like when I found out people wanted to save the open space, yeah, okay, I'm going to go fight for it. And then I hear that people are being sued in the state of Utah. And then, you know, a simple um, Internet search, if you just type in SLAPP for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation, it's a huge national problem. And there are 22 states that do not have laws um, to protect people who are being sued. And I, you know, if I were to have a hopeful outlook of this book, it would be that um, those citizens in those states would be able to get laws passed, um, to be able to speak freely and and to have, a, you know, assurance that you're not going to to be punished for simply speaking out at a public hearing.
0: We're talking with uh, Jessica Tobler, that's the name she goes by in this novel, it's a novel based on the true story of a strategic lawsuit against public participation or slap in Utah two headstrong conservative Mormon housewives who want to preserve open space near the Jordan River are uh, speak out against a multi-million dollar commercial project and they're sued by the developers for 1.7 million dollars and uh, you've heard Jessica Tobler say that she she's ended up with four hundred thousand dollars of legal bills because she persisted she along with her uh, fellow activist to Julie Bell, the name she goes by in the novel. Um, you are welcome to join the conversation, if you would like, at 1-800-826-1495. We have another about eight minutes left, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can reach us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page or by email to upraccess@gmail.com. at gmail.com, at gmail.com. So Jessica Tolbert, uh, you said 22 states still do not have um, an anti-slap bill. Utah does, uh, right. and I believe there's no uh, federal anti-slap law. These these are some ambitions that you would, I don't know if you're involved in in that. You'd at least like to see that happen. Yes, in you know. States.
1: Interestingly enough, there was a Democrat that did try to pass a federal slap law um, a few years ago, and it, it didn't work. I was at first I was in favor of a federal slap law. But then, again, you know, upon reexamination of my belief, I guess you could say, in, you know, in states' rights, then that the states might know best on how to remedy um, the law for their own individual states.
0: Mm. Does this, do you hear of slap suits still happening?
1: Yes, I do. And and I have received, we uh, started a, a little website that hopefully I'll be able to reveal someday <laughs> or probably be easy to kind of do a Google search and find it for yourself you know but um, so people we had a, a phone number and a, a contact information to contact us and but you know in the in the state of Utah there were quite a few um, slap suits and um, I being an active political activist, community organizer, president of the United States you know says, he was a community organizer, and so I jokingly say now that I'm a community organizer because I believe, you know, I've done a lot of the same things that President Obama has done. Um, so it's important for when, when, you, when you get involved, if you're not being paid, you know, you're going to lose a lot of money. But I, I've had, I always felt that I've had a pretty good life and um, that I should give back and fighting for things that I believe in is the way that I believe in. Um, and fighting back, and so I have received phone calls from people who have used the new SLAP law, which is called the Citizen Participation in Government Act, which um, they've been able to use it to win in lawsuits. And so, you know, it doesn't pay the bills, but at least it, it helps, you know, kind of ease a little bit of the pain. <laughs> mm. Makes me feel like, okay, I didn't entirely waste my life.
0: Oh, And I wonder if you. You know, if if you could take yourself back to the beginning of this, and you knew the outcome, that you you know, developer would develop a lot of that open space. You'd be able to preserve some of it, um, and you know the free speech outcomes of this. Mm -hmm. Would you do it again?
1: Wow, you know that is a question that I have asked myself a million times, and at times, if you were to ask me in the middle of it, like. I mean, if would I say no? Like, I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I think that if, I don't know if any of us would would ever fight for anything if we didn't think the outcome was going to be ideal. <laughs> um, but if you if if you're passionate about something, you have to go out and, and say something. Then go say something about it. And so as I look back um, at, at the times, a, a friend of mine—he uh, has a—he's a former police officer in San Diego. He has a group called Second Amendment Police Department. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a gun rights group, and he sent me a great message a couple weeks ago, and he said that the the worst stories make the best stories over a beer, or I guess we say a root beer here in Utah. Some <laughs> of <it>. us. <laughs> Um, And and so, you know, I guess I really believe that is that what, what makes us strong, I don't know if we go tell all these stories over a a hot chocolate or Coke or coffee or whatever, you know, about how great life is. I don't really think they make the best stories. You know, it's fighting for something or, or some, some big trial or obstacle that you overcome in life. And i I' met of really like wonderful people that I never would have met, and so um and and probably made a little difference and at the very least you know we did preserve a park
0: hmm. I wonder we just have a couple of minutes left so fairly fast on this but i mm-hmm. I'm curious what the attitude of your children is at this point they of course they went through this um uh-huh. and and I'm sure they learned some lessons. Maybe they, you know, they didn't have some things they would have had. The one daughter had to wear the same pair of pants for a year. You said, what are, mm-hmm. what are what are the, what do they think about this at this point?
1: Oh, my my girls have been so excellent. They never complained about it. In fact, one of my daughters, she, you know, how you go to the grocery store and you see these donation jars? Please help my daughter. She has cancer or something. She made up these jars that had, please help my mom. She's been sued. And she needs money to pay legal bills, and she she had made these jars, and she offered to go and take those around, and I said, "No, that's so sweet that you did that, but you don't need to do that." Um, you know, to your last question, something that it, you know the ending is not an ideal happy ending, but what I what I've had to kind of realize in life, and I, I don't know that life is a fairy tale ending. I think a lot of the, the stories that we see um, maybe have been Hollywoodized or glamorized, and so life isn't like the movies. And, and also, um, it, and with, if you're in a battle, there are casualties. And so, yeah, we'd, we'd like to all you know ride off into the sunset and live happily ever, but I, I don't know that life is really like that. Life is very hard. Um, but the main thing is, is you make a lot of friends along the way, and, and I wouldn't trade the friendships and the associations that I've made with environmentalists, um, with with people who believe in free speech. And we had the largest coalition ever assembled um, to pass a bill. We had the ACLU. We had the Eagle Forum, if you can believe that, you know, all coming together on a bill to say, uh, and and, and let me say anti-gun people and pro-gun people coming together to say, look, there's really, the First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason. It is our first most important right that's why it's so important to have talk radio like these shows where we can express our feelings. And the Second Amendment, is, which is the right to keep and um, bear firearms, protects all of our other rights. But I, since I am a gun rights activist, um, I like to say that a mom uh, with a mouth is more powerful than a mom with a magnum.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some truth to that, isn't there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we've reached the, the end of our time. Um, the book is Slapped. It's a novel by Paul Swenson uh, based on the true story of a strategic lawsuit against public participation in Utah. We've been talking with uh, one of the people at the center of this uh, true story. It's going by the name by which she appears in the novel, Jessica Tobler. Uh, by the way, where, just very briefly, where can, we, where can people get the book? What, what's a good contact point?
1: Okay, well, obviously, you know, Amazon.com. Um, the publisher is Author AuthorHouse, A U T H O R H O U S E.com. It's on Barnes and Noble's. It's on all of the um, online bookstore retail outlets. And we hope to have it on bookshelves soon.
0: Okay, great. Just type
1: in S L A P P E D
0: and there's an exclamation point as well right um jessica Tobler, thank you so much
1: wow well thanks and it's been thank you i call it thanks for the radiotherapy today to be able to i can't even tell you how much it means i spent a lot of years and a lot of money for the ability for the right and ability to speak with you today on the radio and so i'm a little vindicated this morning so thank you
0: well we're, we're happy to provide the forum <laughs> uh thanks so much and uh, thanks for listening to access utah
2: Utah writer, Gina Wickwar. I called my sister Monday, as I do every year at this time, but Monday was special. December 7th marked the 60th anniversary of our arrival in Panama in 1953. My sister would turn four years old three days later. I had recently turned nine. We arrived in Cologne, the Caribbean port, from a week-long voyage that began in New York City. We'd been there for about two weeks before sailing to get the required tropical immunizations. After a very tearful goodbye to grandmothers, cousins, uncles, and aunts, we set sail on a Matz ship, a military transport vessel authorized to carry civilians and military families. We made several port calls. One was at Charleston, South Carolina, where we took on other families destined for a Canal Zone post. The other was at Hafana, where we took on, or left, I can't remember which, various supplies and fuel. I do remember that the voyage was filled with all sorts of fun and games to amuse us children. Movies, board games, crafts, puppet shows, small musicals, singing, and even square dancing. What the adults were doing, I have no recollection, but I do know my father suffered from seasickness the first three days out. Fortunately, my mother and sister and I were oblivious to the heavings of the ship. Once we docked and disembarked at Cologne, we boarded a train that took us across the Panamanian isthmus to the city of Balboa on the Pacific. There, another uncle, who was living in Panama City and working for a shipping company, met us and drove us to Albrook Air Force Base, where my father and we were to be stationed for the next three and a half years. Panama was hot and humid, but I don't recall we ever sweltered despite the equatorial heat. That's because the airbase's housing was built for the tropics. Two-storied living spaces were perched atop open-air carports. Floors were tiled and walls were thick. The red tile roofs had huge overhangs at each level to protect from the heavy downpours of the rainy season. Large windows covered all four walls, upstairs and down, and allowed the breezes to cool the interiors. They were not made of glass, but were screened and could only be closed with jala our home perched on a hill that overlooked Albrook's runway. From there we could easily see, and hear, the sea, cargo, and fighter planes take off and land. The seaplanes were particularly noisy as they got up steam, their props roaring faster and faster before the pilot let up on the brakes. Then slowly they started forward, lumbering down the mile-long runway before miraculously lifting off just as they reached the end. We kids found them endlessly fascinating. Equally fascinating was the flora just yards from our home. The jungle was never far away, even in the cultivated areas of Panama. In fact, workmen swinging large machetes regularly whacked away the encroaching ferns, bushes, and plants that would take over in a heartbeat, if allowed. Mango, papaya, coconut palm, and banana trees abounded, as did plantain and fiery chili bushes. We were constantly warned to watch for giant hills that would appear overnight, or the occasional python that would wrap itself around an overhead tree branch. Yesterday, my soon-to-be 64-year-old sister and I reminisced once again about our idyllic life in the canal zone, how I crossed the canal every day at the San Miguel locks to go to school, how we took rides into old Panama City on creaky, smoke-belching chivas to shop in the open-air markets, how we sunbathed on beautiful white beaches, collected shells and starfish, and saw our first shark. Panama was paradise. The American-run canal zone, a slice of that paradise. Both my sister and I marvel that the sleepy town of old Panama City, which then looked like a New Orleans French Quarter, today, 60 years later, more closely resembles Miami or Honolulu, with its high-rise hotels, huge financial district, modern apartments and buildings. And Albrook Air Force Base, with the passage of the Torrijos. Carter Treaty in the late 1970s, the air base, and the whole canal zone have belonged to Panama since 1997. Panamanians, bless them, now have their paradise to themselves. This is Gina Wickwar.
0: This is Utah Public Radio. KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD1 91.5 Logan.
2: Thank you for listening to Access Utah Today. Living on Earth is coming up next, followed by a performance today at 11. It is now 10 o'clock.